Good morning, everyone. Buenos dias a todos. My name is Jonathan Aguilar. And mine is Olivia Gregson. It's not completely unusual to have two valedictorians of a high school graduation. We are so glad to have been given this opportunity to speak with you all today. Muchos de ustedes ya nos conocen, pero para los que no... But what we're hearing is what the valedictory address can sound like when the two students are from a dual-language school. La oportunidad de hablar con ustedes hoy. The two valedictorians, Jonathan, a native Spanish speaker, and Olivia, a native English speaker, are products of North Carolina's dual-language education program. In 2005, North Carolina had just seven dual-language schools. By the time Jonathan and Olivia graduated in 2018, there were 140. People don't under, always understand how we got here. They think things just fell from the sky, I guess. <laughs> But of course it didn't. I traveled to North Carolina to talk to the language education leaders there and find out what's in their water. Why is it that North Carolina has become a powerhouse of dual language schools? In the 1950s, then Governor Luther Hodges and his team went out to a, a place about 10 miles from here, which is now known as the Research Triangle Park. And they looked at a bunch of tobacco fields and uninhabited space and said, we could rise with the next century if we are prepared. In North Carolina, we're very focused on making sure we empower all of our language communities, all of our heritage communities, and all the ways in which language can be learned and acquired. Between 2013 and 2015, our dual language immersion programs doubled in the state. We're making progress. I asked why it was so important to them. Because our future depends on it. But now that North Carolina has built this amazing network of dual language schools, will the teachers come? I'm Steve Levine, the host of America the Bilingual, and I'm delighted to share with you in this episode some history in the making. It was our associate producer, Becky Rankin, who kept telling me North Carolina is where you can see the future of American language education. To prove it to me, she lined up interviews with key state leaders and made arrangements for me to go interview them. My first stop was in Raleigh, the state capitol. Inside the cavernous marble lobby of the state education building, I was met by Helga Fasciano, special assistant for global education, and we were joined by three of her colleagues, Anne-Marie Gunter, Tricia Willoughby, and Ivana Anderson. Check our episode notes for photos and titles. And instead of me telling you who's talking on every audio clip, you'll hear them the way I did. Four passionate global language champions eager to tell the North Carolina story. It really was World War I and World War II that kind of got us into that practice of you must speak English. You must forget about your other language. You must assimilate. Kind of reminds me of the Star Trek Borg story, right? <laughs> Resistance is futile type of thing. But North Carolina did resist. They created another triangle of sorts. They brought together leaders from state government, from their state universities, and from international businesses. 
They let all 115 school districts in the state decide on the languages they would offer, and they were inclusive in what these languages could be, including Cherokee, as we reported in episode 30. We set up our standards so that any language, whether it was an alphabetic language, a logographic language like Chinese or Japanese, or a visual language like American Sign Language, could be represented. They started their dual language programs in elementary schools where they knew they would do the most good. The students gain an early advantage in learning languages and thereby in learning most everything. It starts early. You start usually in kindergarten, so that's early exposure to language. It's much more comprehensive. From the standpoint developmentally of learning things, the more you can incorporate into a student's day at that level, the better you're going to be. Here's how one principal used dual language learning. The principal said when she looked at the incoming students that year, she was overwhelmed at the majority of non-English speakers who were going to be at her elementary school. And so rather than go, oh my goodness, the ESL challenge I have before me, she said, look at the opportunity I have. So they created an immersion school every other day. The children learned in one day Spanish, one day English. So by the end of fifth grade, everyone's bilingual. We have principals that call this the two-for-one deal. It's the same set of standards and the same curriculum as every other student in that grade level is getting. They're just getting it in a language other than English, and that's how they're learning the language. Some of these dual language schools are getting recognition outside of the state, in fact, outside of the country. Um, schools in North Carolina that are recognized by the Spanish Ministry of Education as one of their International Spanish Studies Academies. A great honor, but what excites these teachers just as much is what all of the dual language schools do for their students. We do know, for example, that higher academic achievement and, and higher scores on standardized tests and reading and math and so forth result from students being in a second language program, whatever that program is creativity, divergent thinking, problem-solving skills, all of those things increase and become better if you have studied a second language. North Carolina, not surprisingly, is among the states that recognize students' achievements in another language with the seal of biliteracy, which we reported on in episode 15. In North Carolina, schools are open about how their students learn a language through a dual language immersion setting, coming with a heritage language, or if had a study abroad experience. So there are students whose home language is Swahili or Persian who have been able to earn the seal. And we wanted to ensure that any language a student had studied or was interested in and had pursued Mm -hmm. could be recognized if they met the qualifications. Integrating languages into a larger worldview is a big part of how North Carolina is succeeding in bilingual education. This isn't just about world languages. This is about immersion into cultures and understanding of people in deep and significant ways. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to end up speaking a second language fluently, but it does mean it changes the way they think. It goes to that notion of respect and acceptance and friendship, those relationships that transcend the political rhetoric that we hear in this nation about immigration. To me, the powerful statement is, 
We're better together. North Carolina's dual language immersion programs have become so successful that educators often get calls from parents who might move to North Carolina if they can get their children into a dual language school. There is already more demand than supply, and the limiting factor for establishing more schools may well be, brace yourself, teachers. We're already at a very critical uh, juncture in that there's no one to hire regardless of qualifications. That's Ken Stewart, the first Teacher of the Year for World Language Teachers and now a teacher of other teachers. I met with Ken and Mary Lynn Redmond at my second day of interviews in North Carolina on the Sylvan campus of Wake Forest University. Mary Lynn was on the faculty at Wake Forest and taught many of America's finest language teachers, including our very own Becky Rankin. I asked Ken and Mary Lynn to tell me about their own introductions to their other languages, Spanish for Ken and French for Mary Lynn. I remember my own father telling me 30 years ago, you'll never get a job if you major in Spanish. Both of them studied abroad in college, Ken in Spain, Mary Lynn in France. I love the language, but I was really intrigued by the culture. It just becomes a passion and something you know it just embraces you almost, and it becomes part of who you are. As for the looming teacher shortage, Mary Lynn and Ken are doing something about it. A project that we're working on with the state is Project CAFE, calling all future educators. So if we identify potential teachers, we can build this pipeline. They told me that sometimes it's simply a matter of convincing some of their older students in the dual language programs that they would make very good teachers themselves and reminding them that parents will likely be driving the demand for dual language schools far into the future. Parents realize that it's, that it's a life skill that they want their kid to have. It's not just a luxury. The earlier we start, we can see cognitive benefits in addition to our linguistic benefits, the capacity to think critically and be better problem solvers, to see the world through a different lens and have multiple perspectives. As one of our panelists said to me, It's about understanding each other, respecting each other, appreciating your similarities and not realizing so much the differences. It's about equipping our next generation with the language skills they need to compete in this century. North Carolina has worked to ensure that all students have opportunities available to them to learn language and to learn it effectively and to learn it to a level of proficiency that they can now go out into the world. But yes. they can capitalize on that mm -hmm. for the rest of their lives, whether they're using it in their personal life or in their professional life. That language is theirs. The two valedictorians that we heard at the beginning of our episode were members of the first graduating class of their dual language high school. They've been in dual language schools since they were little. One of the panelists has known them since they started. 
I still remember going to Siler City Elementary and actually meeting those students then when they first started the program, when they were in kindergarten and first grade. Jonathan, one of the co-valedictorians, is now studying medicine on a full scholarship at Duke. Olivia received a full scholarship to UNC Charlotte. Be grateful for the people in your lives who have been there for you and help you get where you are. Give back to those who have given you. When you look at two people standing at the podium together with such completely diverse backgrounds, and yet they've made this choice to travel this road together. Thank you and congratulations. It was the dream then that has now been realized. Gracias y felicidades. Deseamos lo mejor para todos ustedes. America the Bilingual podcast is part of the Lead with Languages campaign of ACTFUL, the American Council on the Teaching of Foreign Languages. This episode was written by Mim Harrison, our editorial and brand director for the America the Bilingual project. Our podcast editor is Fernando Hernandez, who also does our sound design and mixing. Graphic arts are created by Carlos Plaza Design Studio. Special thanks to associate producer Becky Rankin, who inspired this story and arranged all the interviews. And thanks to my wife, Lori, who traveled with me all over the good state of North Carolina. Support for the America the Bilingual Project comes from the Levenger Foundation. Music in this episode, Quasi-Motion by Kevin McLeod, was used with a Creative Commons attribution license. Our thanks to Epidemic Sound for helping us make beautiful music together. If you like this episode, please share with your friends and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. For America the Bilingual, this is Steve Levine.